The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. It's in this league. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. Come again with Scott Bogman and Chris Welsh. Can't wait. What does that do? Does that blow your mind? That just happened. Welcome in. It is the final hour of this In This League special. It is Bogman. It is the Welsh. And we've got a pretty How cool one. sandwich, the Welsh? <laughs> it was a great sandwich. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Yeah? It was a, okay. I had some mustard. You know what I don't like about sandwiches sometimes? When you get the mustard on it, and like say you go to Subway and they put a little bit too much on it, and then when you're done with the sandwich, you've got the, the mustard on the fingernails. Like that, Ugh. that is uncomfortable. I don't like too much that. mustard ruins anything. Like it's impossible. Like you get mustard on the shirt that is not coming out. Yeah. It, you know, I think that that might open up a, we don't have time for it, but a bigger conversation of what are the <laughs> things that there's too much is not bad and too much is bad specifically for sandwiches because too much, right. you know, I would say cheese, meat, that's never bad, but no. almost anything else, even something you like, like let's say you get like guacamole on it, you know, like they can do that at Subway. Too much, it's just like, well, what are we doing here? What are we yeah. doing here? So maybe it's maybe it's this guacamole box. sandwich. Maybe it's condiments, um, condiments mm. in the bread. Too much thick yep. bread can ruin it too. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard hitting stuff too, we're doing right here. So. Too much bread. Yeah, investigative reporting. Well, uh, kind of some investigative stuff that's going down here. The MLB draft is coming up here in just a couple weeks, June 3rd. So it's right around the corner. And there is a ton to talk about. I had a conversation with Jim Callis. This is a part of uh, the Prospect One podcast, but we are going to be playing it for you right here. And uh, we're going to be breaking down all the prospects from Adley Rutschman down to guys you probably have never heard of. So we're going to have Jim Callis on for the next hour. And who did I say? I've never heard of. (laughs) Who did I say? Adley Rutschman. I I was about to say, did I say something wrong? You're like, no, I've just not heard of Adley Rutschman. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) The catcher from Oregon State. So uh, enjoy this uh, full hour here. We're in and out here. This is going to be me and Jim Callis talking about the MLB 2019 draft. Prospect One. All right, joining me on the line right now, he is Mr. Jim Callis. You can find him on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB, and there is going to be a ton of great coverage, and you're going to be seeing Jim's face, hearing his voice more than you thought you would over uh, at least over the last couple months because it is draft time. 
Jim, what's up, my friend? Well, the draft is up, so uh, you, you knew the answer to that question. But yeah, now the draft is pretty much feels like 24-7 these days, except when I'm sleeping. So maybe Are you, not like, ready? Much. Like, I, I feel like you're staring, you're just staring into this, like, thing that's about to hit you. Like, you know it's about to happen. You're staring into the abyss, and it's all about to come tumbling down a big wave of draft stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, if we had the draft show was today, if the draft were today, like, I I've, I think I've, I've kind of talked to enough people, and I've got, like, my half of the country that I, I'm supposed to cover like I think I know the players pretty well like you know the toughest day is really not day one it's day two when Jonathan Mayo and I are sitting next to Scott Braun and teams are literally picking a pick a minute from rounds three through ten I think we get like a ten minute break in between like the fifth round and the sixth round but so it's like 240 something picks and it's like literally a pick a minute bam bam we're supposed to comment on every guy yeah. um, and, and you, you get it to a point where like it's impossible to stay on top of all the college seniors who are getting drafted as discount guys to push bonus money on our players like we'll be on top of some some of those but like you just there's no way you'll ever be on top of all of them so like some of those will stump us a little bit and we'll, and we'll be texting for help but like i try to pride myself on like the guys who are not seniors like knowing the vast majority of them like i hope i'm not getting stumped on anybody before round five I and mean, maybe even a little later and that i know most of the guys um and so i feel like i'm in pretty good shape like on that <laughs> where i'm not in good shape like by the time this podcast runs I, I our top 200 prospect list will be out with all our updated scouting reports and you know we, we have a 100 right now i still have to write a bunch of scouting reports so um as of this moment yes i have the information i have it all on pieces of paper and Word and Excel documents and then rattling around my head, but I need to now spit it out into report form for MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. So top 200, you got the shows, all of this good stuff. One thing I want to talk about before we start getting into the players, and thank you, by the way, for the very nice compliment, uh, and because we've got a bunch of good questions we're going to kind of try to dig into to get people's brains rattling, but uh, you and Jonathan may go back and forth about your, uh, your mock drafts every week. I've been watching yours. Right, and right. The most we alternate, re- yes. Yeah, you guys alternate. And the most recent one you posted up, very good. I loved it, by the way, too, just as a personal Diamondbacks fan, because this is the first time in your mo- in a mock I've seen that I haven't seen uh, Matthew Allen go to the Diamondbacks at 16. And the first time I haven't seen Keone Cavico go uh, to the Diamondbacks at 26. So those were positives. But I highly suggest everybody go check out this uh, latest one that Jim put up. The thing that I thought was most interesting, and I'm curious at uh, what What's going on with this? That there is seems to be some increased chatter that Adley Rutschman might not go one. It does seem like a lot. It seems like nonsense at this point, but it there's some conversation around maybe some injury stuff. Maybe there's a slot money issue. So talk to me about the possibility of Adley Rutschman not going number one overall to the Orioles. Yeah, and it, this type of thing is typical unless you have like one of those years. Like maybe the year Steven Strasburg came out, we didn't have this kind of talk. But like when you have the strong favorite to go number one coming into the year and then he holds that, which doesn't happen a lot. But when he holds it, you still get to this point right about now, a couple of weeks before the draft where all of a sudden it's like, oh, am I not going number one? Like like. Like, Dansby Swanson wasn't as solid a number one overall pick as Adley Rutschman was. But a couple years ago this time, it was like, oh, the Dimebacks might take Tyler Stevenson, this high school catcher from Georgia. Or they might take Garrett Whitley, this this (laughs) high school outfit from New York. Like, you always hear all these rumors. And so the the, the two things that are getting knocked around and gossiped about a little bit are, one, you know, is there something with his shoulder? Because – 
you know, Rutschman doesn't take infield. I've had people tell me Oregon State's catchers often don't take infield. He had some kind of, of injury, and I want to stress that it was a minor injury. It did not require surgery in high school playing football. So is there something going on with his shoulder? And Baltimore is probably the toughest team out there in terms of – you know what they, you know how stringent they are on on medical records and clean bills of health and little things that scuttle deals. Although Peter Angelus is not as involved as he was in the past, and then you know the new GM Mike Elias. You can keep going with this. He went through a number one overall pick who had health issues with Brady Aiken, which they didn't find out about until after the Astros took him number one overall. It worked out nicely because they wound up not signing him, even though they tried, and they wound up with Alex Bregman's compensation pick. So there's a, there's this line of thought that like something's going on with his shoulder. Baltimore's not going to like the medical. Michael Elias might not want to deal with all that. I, I just think it's overblown. And like, I, I, in my mock draft, I used a quote from a scouting director who said, <laughs> unless they have to cut off his arm, I don't see how he, he doesn't go 1-1. One, one. <laughs> I had another scouting director who told me he thinks it's all like just way overblown and that if he doesn't get picked number one, they ought to just fire everybody in Baltimore. So so anyway, I, I don't, I'm not really buying into that, but that's out there. And then the other one is this happens every year too. And, and it seems like it comes from fans more often. Did this concept, you know, maybe some writers sometimes, they're like, oh, whoever's picking number one, they're just going to crush it because they're going to take a guy who's not the number one one guy and save a ton of money and then just kill the draft. And this goes back to 2012 where Carlos Correa went number one overall and signed for $4.8 million. And then they used the money, the savings to go sign Lance McCullers in the supplemental first round. It was the first year of the new system. But what people don't realize, that would not they would not have done that if A, Mark Appel had turned down the opportunity to go number one, like he and Scott Boris would not agree to a number. It was first year of the new system, and, and Scott was convinced that this new system was not going to work and somebody was going to overpay Appel and, and blow up the system. So they, so they weren't I, – I firmly believe – Astros might tell me differently. I firmly believe everything I knew that that was the guy that the Astros wanted. But Correa was number two on their list. He'd worked out great for a bunch of teams. And it just so happened, I think Correa's camp felt like he was probably going to go number six to the Cubs if he or six or seven to the Padres and Cubs if he didn't go one, when in actuality, if the Astros had moved on to their next choice, which would have been Byron Buxton, the Twins might have taken Correa too. So they got a deal because people didn't, didn't have a great sense for where Correa was going to go. That was like a perfect storm, kind of similar to when the Cubs really like Kyle Schwarber and they could get a discount. But you don't take a guy you don't like with the pick just to save money. If you can save money on a guy you love, yes. But so that in mind, one, you should never do that. You should always take the guy you think is the best player or the best signable player in Correa's case. Because if you look at any kind of draft studies, Chris, I'm sure you have. If you look at value you get from each pick, the best pick by far is number one, and then it's a sharp curve, two through five, and then it it just plummets. So, like, you have to take the best player. But even if you were convinced that, no, I've got this secret guy, and we're going to take him at one, and we're going to sign him for $4.5 million, and we'll have an extra $4 million to play with, and we're going to crush it. (laughs) You just mentioned your favorite team is the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks, going to the draft, have $2.3 million more in bonus pool money than the Orioles, and they pick four times before Baltimore picks again. So even if the if, if, if you're buying into this, this scenario where the Orioles are going to take some guy and get him super cheap and then just crush it, like they're going to go get, you know, you mentioned Matthew Allen, who's the top high school pitcher and he might be a tough sign. And there's a football player named Maurice Hampton who's got wow. the leverage because he's a four-star cornerback recruit. Like, okay, the Orioles are going to go get those guys. No, because the Diamondbacks <laughs> might just take them both. Like, like whoever the Orioles want, has to get to 42, and there are going to be a bunch of teams that have two picks before the Orioles pick again, and the Diamondbacks have four. 
So you can't take that gamble. You you could you could have this secret guy and sign him for four million, and then it gets to forty two, and you're you're looking at it and you're like, oh, like the, the, none of the guys we really wanted fell because of signability. We're just looking at the forty second best player in the draft. So I don't I don't really buy either of those. Like it it's just kind of par for the course right now. You know, it's possible. If something's going on with the shoulder, who knows? I, I, again, I think that's overblown, but I, I still think he's the favorite, the strong favorite to go one-one. Now, we may not know until draft day who's going one-one because the Astros, three years they had their number one pick in a row, did not engage with players and talk money until the day of the draft. Like a lot of times, a lot of teams will t- talk earlier, but then the players will kind of shop the deal. And if you're asking, I'm throwing numbers out here because I don't, I don't know what the actual numbers are. The, the slot at number one is around 8.3, 8.4 million dollars. Casey Mize got 7.5 million dollars as number one overall pick last year. So let's say the Orioles want to try to sign Rutschman for seven million dollars. And again, I don't know. I'm just throwing that number out. Well, Rutschman might go talk to the Royals and say, "Hey, if I get to your pick." You know, what would you pay me or talk to the White Sox? And if he finds out, hey, the White Sox will pay me 7.25, then he's not going to take seven from the Orioles. So anyway, I think to avoid doing that, I would be very surprised if the Orioles don't follow the same playbook that the Astros followed while, while, while Mike Elias was in Houston. And that is not really engage, you know, on, on financial parameters until the afternoon of the draft. So we may not know for sure who's going number one until some point on June 3rd. And one of the biggest interesting things about this is that this uh, perceived smokescreen that's kind of going on is centered around a player that, as you mentioned before, like is almost a, a no miss. It's a no brainer. Adley Rutschman, catcher at Oregon State, big bat, great behind the plate, more walks and strikeouts. I was looking I think on the last episode I looked and he'd almost doubled his walks to strikeout. I mean everything he he's hitting all parameters but what I want to and get he's from, a strong defender too. He's a strong defender. This isn't like the offensive guy who might have to move. Like you have a chance to have plus catcher plus arm. I think at worst you're going to have solid catcher solid arm and it's great makeup. Like like it's very hard to come up like if you were doing positives and negatives the negatives column would be Maybe this whisper of, you know, would like to know a little bit more about his shoulder. But, like, it, it's hard to come up with a negative because he's, he's a switch hitter. Like, I, I, I don't really know what more you would really want with Adley Rutschman. But what kind of offensive player is he? And, and I put on our sheet here, and I'm curious to get your take on it. I think the easiest way for people to comprehend where uh, Adley sits is comparative to Joey Bart, you know, from last year. I mean, yeah. having catcher, people, I think, in general have a tough time wrapping their heads around catchers going high in any type of a draft. They just can't wrap their heads fully around it. So you had Joey Bart last year, who I'm not trying to call all bat, definitely can, you know, he's behind the plate, but he's a big, big offensive catcher. Adley kind of checks both of those markers. So what type of offensive player is he, and how does he compare to last year's Joey Bart? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because Joey Bart went number two overall last year, and you know, no catcher has gone number one. Over, I'm not counting Bryce Harper, who was announced as an outflow. No catcher has gone number one since Joe Maurer in 2001, I believe. Um, if you're comparing to Joey Bart, who went number two last year, I think the power and the arm strength are comparable, but Adley is a better hitter. You know, plus he's a switch hitter, controls strike zone better, and he's a better receiver. Not that Joey's bad in either of those categories, just Adley's better. So it's like basically you take the guy who was the number two pick in last year's draft and you make him a better hitter, a better receiver, <laughs> a switch hitter. <laughs> like it's pretty attractive. It's like MLB so be the show. You just put up all the little parameters. Yeah. You're like, all right, hit yeah. tool 99. Yeah, yeah I'm going to move him up. Yeah, so, you, so you're right. And like Joey Bart 
very good prospect. Like Joey Bart a lot, but I don't think there's any question that Adley Rutschman is a better prospect. Like I, I, I don't think you know maybe the Giants because <laughs> they took Joey Bart. You know would 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 kind of like maybe make an argument, but like, that's one I, I don't think anybody would really argue about that Adley Adley Rutschman is a better prospect than Joey Bart, a more complete prospect. One of my uh, my counterpart last week, I did a mailbag episode with uh, James Anderson from RotoWire, and we were talking about Adley, and he made an interesting statement that he actually thought that Rutschman gets to the majors before Bart. Do you think Rutschman is not only, you know, better on all counts like we're talking about, but he's a guy who flies through the Orioles system? Or do you think there could be pieces of, you know, an injury keeps him back? They want to let him mature through the system. I mean, what, what do you think about something like that? I, I would think if, like, Joey Bart hadn't broken his hand, and I think he'll be back soon this year, I'd just say, no, you know, Bart's ahead of him. I mean, that maybe closes the gap a little bit. I mean, the thing to remember, I mean, as good as Adley Rutschman is, um, you know, like, I mean, you wouldn't do this for a number of reasons, but like, could you make the case that Adelie Rutschman is is better than you know? I guess Pedro Severino's having a good year, but yeah, you know, could could Adley Rutschman at least replace Austin Wins as the backup catcher on the Orioles the day they draft him? Yeah, he could. Yeah. Like, he is that good. I mean, you wouldn't do it, but but like, even for development wise, like he's not going to be up this year. And even if he tears it up next year, th- there's no incentive for the Orioles to promote him. Like, you're, you're starting to service time clock early. Team's going to have no chance to contend next year. So I, I think at best case, we see Adley Rutschman. A couple weeks into the 2021 season where, you know, they've delayed his free agency. But even then, the Orioles should be terrible. So I think it's, you know, we could, you know, maybe be midseason after they've delayed his Super 2 arbitration eligibility. So I I don't necessarily – I I would actually – a, would be curious, like if, if you had Vegas put odds on this, what they would have, how they would have the odds, because. But um, I, I think Bart gets there ahead of ahead of Adley Rutschman, barring further injuries, just because you know I, I think the the same thing with him. I think we could see Joey Bart up sometime toward the end of next year, whereas Adley, I, I just don't see why the Orioles would have any incentive to do that. All right, we got more coming up here, more Jim Callis, tons more player versus player, digging into the middle rounds. Bogman just learned who Adley Rutschman is, so now Bogman, it's time to learn who. Uh, J.J. Blade is, and uh, you're going to learn about C.J. Abrams. Are you excited? I've never used a J.J. Bidet before, okay. but um, I know that they're prominent in Europe, and they're better than toilet paper. Don't go anywhere. More of the special edition of In This League with Jim Callis. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. It's in this league. No one uh, asked you anything ever, so whomever's name is in this league. Why don't you take a letter opener and stick it in your skull? Welcome back. It is more in this league. It's our special edition here, and it is the final hour. We had a bunch of really good stuff going down, and we got more here. It is Jim Callis from the MLB Pipeline, and we're talking about the MLB draft, Bogman. It was a good conversation I had, and people want to hear the entirety. You're getting most of it here, but you want to hear more and some of my takes. You can go over to Prospect One, and we're, we're teaching Bogman some stuff. I'm, I'm very excited I'm learning, that we're I'm learning about uh, Rutschman's and mm-hmm. uh, bidets and all the stuff. Yeah, under, under bishops and stuff like that. Well, we got a lot more Riley Green. Is his name really J.J. Bidet? Bladet. 
Blood day. It, okay. Yeah, B L E D A Y, not a bud day. I know that was okay. uh, messing with you, but uh, JJ Bladay. And we're going to go further uh, throughout the rest of this. So uh, keep tuning in here. It is Jim Callis. You can find him on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB right here on uh, the Prospect One podcast and Prospect in this league. One. Now, if there was an adjustment that happened in the with the first pick, the two guys that would be the most obvious beneficiaries to it would be Bobby Witt Jr. and uh, Andrew Vaughn. I'm a big Bobby Witt Jr. guy. I saw him last year. They came out. They did one of the you know the tours out in Phoenix or some tournament. Andrew Vaughn is very very popular in the fantasy community. Jim Andrew Vaughn is similar. Uh, how much you followed it last year? Andrew Vaughn reminds me of the same type of hype that was given to Jonathan India in the fantasy community. Oh, he's my he's much better. And and, and I'm yeah. not to, to knock Jonathan India, but Andrew Vaughn's track record of dominance is much, much longer than Jonathan India's was. So yeah, and I, I think it's I think it reminds me of the same type of a boost of of where you know India became or India became a lot of people's absolute favorite from the class. Where if you compare, and that's where I want to go with this, Bobby Witt Jr. versus Andrew Vaughn, because uh, it's a longer play with Bobby Witt Jr. But I, I, it might have even been you that said it, but I've seen the words, you know, this is a franchise caliber player that you can build around, but he's a high schooler comparative to what you're saying right there with Andrew Vaughn, who is um, a much more established college bat. So talk to me about them versus each other and their offensive skills. Yeah, it's two entirely different types of players. Just to give people an idea where they would go, if, if Rutschman doesn't go if Rutschman goes one I think Bobby Witt to the Royals at two probably happens either way um, Vaughn I think is in the mix from three to six I had him going five to Tigers in my last mock draft he could really fit any of those spots if Rutschman doesn't go number one then I think Vaughn would be the favorite to go one right now and Witt would go two and Rutschman would go three um, and in terms of offensive players you know Witt is a potential five tool shortstop it, you know his least advanced is the wrong word the, the tool that maybe you wouldn't grade as high as the others although nobody has any problems with it would be the hitting ability um, there's a little bit of swing and miss not and I'll emphasize a little bit on the showcase circuit last year he basically played in every event and I think he got worn down at times but I mean you're talking Bobby Witt could be a if you're talking realistic ceiling on these guys I mean, Bobby Witt's going to be a definite shortstop who could be a a 2020 player and maybe hit 275. I think that's a really like a Trevor story almost. Yeah, maybe faster and maybe like without like a little bit better hitter maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, story uh, still like 20 something bases I think this year. So in yeah. that range, yeah, I know what you're saying though. I yeah. know exactly what you mean. I, I think he's a little faster than story. So anyway, like and I'm saying that's like realistic. That's not his ultimate ceiling. Um, and then I think Vaughn is more. Vaughn's going to hit for higher average than Bobby Witt. Their power is probably pretty comparable. I think because you've seen Vaughn do it at a higher level, um, you probably feel better about Vaughn getting getting to most of his power. Like like, like Vaughn, you'd get like it's not that they, I mean they have the same power. You just feel better about Vaughn tapping all the way into it. So like I think Vaughn, you could maybe project as like a two ninety. 30 home run guy like is a realistic ceiling you know 290 25 homers but you know and then if you're looking at upside you know maybe Andrew Vaughn's you know contending for batting titles hitting 30 plus homers a year and and you know maybe wit you know if you're looking at pure ceiling you know maybe he's closer to a 30 30 guy and he's a shortstop or 25 25 guys so they're both really they're they're, they're both really good um, and, and it's exciting and if you had to if you had to you know, put your money on which horse long term. Is it Vaughn or Witt? For fantasy or for, for yeah? Oh, how about both? How about both? If they, I'd be interested. For, base, for baseball, I would take 
Bobby Witt Jr. because the, the defensive value just like puts him ahead of Andrew Vaughn. I mean, you're talking about Andrew Vaughn is a first base only guy. Bobby Witt is is a legit shortstop who could play, probably play just about anywhere you need him. So I, I would take Bobby Witt for fantasy. You know, the steals are nice. Uh, you know, maybe I'd go with Andrew Vaughn because, like, I, I don't see any way Andrew Vaughn isn't going to be at least like a 280-25 home run guy. And there's more variance for Witt. If, if I was going for fantasy ceiling, I'd probably go for Witt because of the steals in the position. Okay, yeah, I'm a Bobby Witt guy. So it's a really solid tier of of, of offensive output and just overall prospectness that was a little bit sexier than last year's draft. That's what's really nice about the offensive bats. Now these next two guys, they're they're not quite pop-up prospects because I don't want to label them as that, but they've absolutely burst on the scene this year, and I would say, you might agree or disagree, Jim, but I think they might be the two most popular college bats that are not named Adley or Andrew. Uh, How do the hit and power tool grade out for Hunter Bishop from ASU right out here and J.J. Blade from uh, Vanderbilt? What do you think about those two guys? Yeah, and I think what you said is fair. I think you know, you're going to see, you know, Adley and Vaughn uh, you know, are the top two consensus college bats. I think J.J. Blade could go ahead of, of Andrew Vaughn. Look, Blade is also in that mix of guys who the six hitters who are going to go in the first six picks. Hunter Bishop is getting considered a little bit, but I think it's more likely he goes seven to ten. And if you were comparing those two guys, the I, I think, you know, you'd give – you, I mean, the, the power tool is probably pretty sl- similar. If I had to give an edge to one of them, I'd give it to Blade because he's done it in the SEC and he's done it in conference play. And the Pac-12 is good, but it's not as good as the SEC. And Bishop um, has not had as big a numbers in conference play as he did in non-conference play, whereas Blade has kept it going. In terms of hitters, Blade is a better hitter. He makes more contact. Coming into the year, Blade was seen as more of a, a hit over power guy. Kind of showed, started to show some power with Woodbats last year in the Cape, and you were hoping the power come through. I have not checked the updated stats, but going into the weekend, he was tied for the NCAA Division One home run lead, so he, the power was definitely playing, whereas Bishop was, you know, Bishop can play center. He's a better runner. There are, are you know, more broader tools there, but he's more of a right fielder. But Bishop hadn't performed as well, and his discipline's gotten a lot better. He's tightened the strike zone, and, and the hit and the power have taken off. So, Bode, to me, is better than Bishop. Um, Bishop, you know, is more athletic and can play center, but Blade is a better hitter. And, you know, so if I had, again, you know, who's going to get the most out of their power? I feel a little bit better about Blade. I really, I'm really, really impressed with both, with both of them. What about the idea, whatever you were comparing either one of these guys or both, take both Blade and Bishop and compare them to the, a couple of the non-top, top college bats from last year's draft. And you look at like Alec Baum and Jonathan India, I I feel like I'd have Blade and Bishop above both of those college bats from last year's draft. What do you think if you were comparing yes. them offensively? Yeah. I, I would do that too. And I, I would do that too because Blade, like I was talking about with Andrew Vaughn, Blade's got that track record. You know, the power is new this year. And um, the, 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 the power, you know, explosion is new this year, but he's hit in the past. And, and got, you know, he's performed in the SEC in the past. So he's got a longer track record. Bishop just has better tools than those other guys. You know, I, I, I like Alec Baum. I, I honestly think he winds up, when all is said and done, I think there's a good chance he winds up at first base. And India, you know, India was tough because – 
the tools weren't super loud, but the year was great. He had a great year last year, um, but he hadn't hit like that in the past. And he went from being kind of a guy who everybody always kind of liked and saw as, okay, you know what? He's a, he's a good player, but like nobody was talking about him as a top five pick and, and he became a top five pick. And he has been, you know, just kind of okay. You know, he's starting to pick up a little bit this year now, finally in high A, but like he's not lit the world on fire in pro ball this point. So, so that's maybe a little unfair hindsight wise, but I think even tools at the time, I agree with you. I would probably... I take Bleday, I, I would take Bleday and Bishop over over Bomb in India. Not counting Bobby Witt Jr., the two shortstops that are I, I think that are the most exciting to talk about: C.J. Abrams, high school shortstop versus Bryson Stott, college shortstop, third baseman. However, you want to look at it, probably third baseman at the major league level. Where do each of these guys excel, and where do you think they need to improve at the major league level? Because a lot of people are going to be honed in on those guys. And by the way, Stott's one of those guys. The more that I watch, I'm the, I continue to like. The more I watch him, the more I like him and Abrams seems like he is a very very high tooled out shortstop so where do you think these guys excel and what do they need to improve on yeah with Abrams Abrams will go ahead of of Stott he is one of the better hitters in the high school ranks he's one of the faster players in the high school ranks I think the things he needs to do are to get stronger he's not a slappy guy he, he, he's got some pop to him but he needs to continue to get stronger you know when I say pop I'm talking like 12 to 15 home runs he's not you know gonna be a big time guy but he, he, he can he can drive the ball on occasion and, and just improving his shortstop he he's got the quickness and he's got enough arm he, he's not like he's not as fluid as you might think when you hear the glowing descriptions of his athleticism but he has improved this year and I think he just needs to keep getting better you know Stott has performed well at UNLV you know he you know I actually think he's a shortstop um, you know some guys question his quickness a little bit but he's, he's got a strong arm he's probably got a stronger arm than, than Abrams he, he has good hands you know he he's you know he'll flash some better run times you know he's usually an average runner but he'll play a little quicker than that at times and he can really hit I mean I I think uh, you know he he's a guy who could hit for some average and power um, and he draws some walks so he's a pretty good all around offensive player I, I just think with him you'd like to see him continue to it's not, I don't know if he's going to get a lot better. But continue to sell you they can stay at shortstop. But but I I would project him as a shortstop at the big league level. I mean, you might say average big league shortstop. A lot of teams want a better than average defender at shortstop. But average big league shortstop, I mean, that's a pretty talented guy. You know, Abrams, too, and I, I checked out your guys' report on him. I got this flash, and, and you may be like, oh, this is not at all. But you guys talked about, like, there's a comp to D. Gordon with more power. You know, there's a potential adjustment of position. Yeah, and I got this flash of, like, the shortstop version of Byron Buxton. Maybe not the exact comp when he was the t- number one overall prospect or anything like that, but maybe a little bit closer to now Byron Buxton. What do you think about the idea of, like, Abrams as a shortstop version of Byron Buxton? Maybe. Um, <laughs> to reach, maybe. <laughs> I mean, they're both from Georgia. They could both really run. They could both really hit. I think Buxton had more power. And even if CJ wound up in center field, I think he'd be a good center fielder. Like Byron Buxton's like in the discussion for like the best center fielder in, in the big leagues. So I, 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 I'm not going to love that comparison. I can I can kind of see where you're going, but I, I can't get all the way there myself. Okay, sometimes we reach and we don't always hit the mark when we're going with those. I, I can see where you're going with it though. <laughs> like I, I like I, I understand where you're coming from. It's not it's not far fetched. I just think Buxton was pretty special, and like Buxton is an elite defense. 
defender, and his power potential is a lot better than than C.J. Abrams. Now, fun one. This this is a this is a really interesting guy, and this is someone that people want to lock into. Talk to me about hit versus power and upside on Riley Green. Yeah, I think they're they're both really really good on Riley. I mean, I do, I definitely think coming into the year, if you had to pick one, you'd say he might be the best pure high school hitter in the country. And the power is really good too. I think it, it like he's in the past used more of a line drive, hard contact approach in the game. But and then over the summer and the spring, he started to drive the ball more. I, I still personally think of him as hit first, but that doesn't mean you know, like the power's not there. I mean, you're talking about a guy who could be plus hit plus power. You know, he's. You'd give Andrew Vaughn the nod because he's done it at a high level at the college level. But Riley Green is probably right there behind him as the number two, you know, best all around hitter in this class. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I think you could make that you could make that case. So, okay, so, so what about this comparison then? Let me compare Riley Green to Jared Kellenick. What do you, or I'm actually asking you to compare them. I, I've seen a ton of Kellenick, and, and I think we even spoke about it. Kellenick was the best high school bat coming out of his draft class, and it is really, you know, put, being put together, but I think they're a little bit different. But what do you think about that best high school bat versus Riley Green? Yeah, like, it's an interesting parallel because, yes, I, th- I think those were the best high school, best pure high school hitters in the last two drafts, each last two drafts. The difference between the two is Green, I, I think, has a chance. You know, he's got 30 home run upside. I'm not saying he's going to get there. I think he's got a higher power ceiling than Kelnick. Like, like Green would be 30-plus. Like, Kelnick, you'd probably say 20-plus. You know, and, you know, what plus means they could exceed that. Kelnick's a better athlete. You know, Green is probably a left fielder, fringe runner, fringe arm. Kelnick has a chance to stay in center field. You know, it's more solid run with with good instincts than you know the, that that typical plus center fielder. But I mean, he's got he's got a chance to stay there. So I think that's what the difference is. And his arm is a lot better. It's at least a grade better than Riley Green's. So that it's like I said, I, I do like I like they were the best hitters in the last two drafts. And I think Green's going to be more of that left fielder with left field power, and Kellenick might be that guy who sticks in center field, and if he doesn't, he has a right field arm, and he's a better runner. So, like, like but, I mean, obviously, you're going to like the best pure hitter, <laughs> the high school hitter in the draft, and I've really liked both those guys a lot the last two years. Now, the pitching in this class, at least um, from my perspective, is a little bit in question, uh, maybe starting from the college ranks. You've got uh, Nick Lodolo. Did I say it correctly, Jim? You did. Okay. You did. Ooh, kudos to me. One point for me. Uh, he would probably be at the top for most people. Alex Manoa? Did I say that yep. right? Oh, Alec, oh. Alec Manoa. Alec, Alec Manoa. Manoa. Okay, half a point yeah. negative for yep. saying Alec. Okay. And uh, junior college is Jackson Rutledge. Those are probably a few of the biggest names. You can throw in one or two. But how do you compare this year's college crop of starting pitchers to last year's? I feel like without, like, I mean, <laughs> this is going to sound harsh, but I've had other people tell me the same thing. I've been covering the draft for 30 years. This and I'm not going to claim I've I've gone back and studied each year, <laughs> all 30 years. But this feels to me like the worst group of first round college pitchers I can remember. You know, like you mentioned some of the good ones. I'll throw in Zach Thompson from Kentucky and George Kirby from Elon. Those are five guys I think will definitely go in the first round. I think in most years they'd kind of go in the middle. Maybe these guys in the middle to the end of the first round, uh, the second half of the first round maybe. This year, because there's such a shortage, I think after the six hitters at the top of the draft go, you're going to see, you know, the four or five of those college guys we just mentioned go seven to 15. 
if they last 15 picks, and then it might be a while before we have another one taken. But it's it's it, it's a good year for college position players. It's not a good year for college pitchers. Yeah, I'm looking like at your guys' board last year. I couldn't see myself having any of these guys over Mize, of course, but even looking at, like, if I just want to focus on the college uh, pitchers, I would have Brady Singer, I feel like, over all of them. Um, yep. What about Shane McClanahan and Jackson Coar? Yeah, I mean, they'd be right in the mix with them. And you're talking about guys who fell in the draft last year to the yeah. 30s. I think, you know, Ryan Rollison had a kind of inconsistent spring. But if you look, I mean, especially if you consider hindsight, like and how well these guys have pitched. Logan Gilbert and Ryan Rollison were inconsistent. They were seen as top 10 picks at one point, and they were kind of inconsistent. And I think Gilbert went 14th and Rollison went in the 20s, um, and they both pitched great so far. I think you, you you can make a case for taking them over all of these guys. Yeah, it, it's, it's just not a strong year at all for college pitching. All right, final segment is coming up here. Uh, we got more Jim Callis. This is going to be the back end. We're going to be talking about pitching. We're going to talk more about some pitching. We're going to be talking about some pop-up prospects, some of the later guys. So I don't want you to go anywhere and miss any more of this. It is Bogman the Welsh. It's the special edition of In This League. More Jim Callis coming up for the 2019 MLB Draft. Don't go anywhere. NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. In this league. I thought we were going to be just friends. What? Friends with the... In this league. In the dark. All right, final segment. In this league special edition. Full coverage of the 2019 MLB draft. Getting you guys set for what you need to know. Here is more of Jim Callis and I's conversation over on Prospect One. Prospect one. So the high school pitchers, I like a little bit more. If I had to be uh, playing around with any of the pitching core from this class, it'd probably be on the high school rank. Da- uh, Daniel Espino, Brennan Malone, Matthew Allen, Jack Leiter. I really like Jack Leiter and that curveball. Do you think the lack of pitching in this class is going to make the high school arms look better and or are they superior than previous years, at least the high school crop? I'd say no and no. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it's okay. I mean, the high school crop's fine. It's just nothing special. Um, the, the best is Matthew Allen. I think he'll go pretty good. There's, He's got a high price tag that, that's out there right now, so there's maybe some signability concerns, but he's good enough that I think he'll get it. You know, uh, the, the guy who I think probably goes second and maybe even first if um, signability knocks Allen down a little bit is Quinn Priester from Illinois. Yeah. He's super athletic. He's got stuff. He's got polish. He's got projectability. This guy, like Allen, is a slam dunk starting pitcher. You're, you're not hearing anybody 
you know, he's been really good even in, in terrible weather up here. Pretty much every time out, you don't hear people say, oh, he might be a reliever. So I think he, I think Allen goes in the teens. I think Priester could go in the teens. You know, the, the thing to remember is high school right-handers scare teams. It's the scariest demographic. Their teams feel like there's a lot of risk that comes with it. I like Brennan Malone. The couple times I saw him live, he got hit. I mean, it was short look, so I'm not reading too much into that. He's pretty good, but high, you know, high school pitchers tend to go a little bit lower than you think. I think he probably goes in the 20s. Espino is going to be interesting. I mean, he's got the best fastball of any of those guys. He's got a ton of power to him. You know, he's he's listed at 6'2", 200. I don't know anybody who th- th- really believes he's 6'2". He's not, you know, he's, there's not a ton of projection with him, which is fine because the stuff is pretty good. He's got a long arm action. I think people see more chance that he winds up a reliever than these other guys. And so when you factor that in with high school right-hander risk, he could be one of the guys who gets, doesn't go in the first round, but gets paid you know, with somebody's second or third pick. You know, Leiter has got a really good curveball. And probably um, he's as polished as any of these guys, or him and Priester are. He may not be signable. I mean, he's obviously the son of Al Leiter, who did very well in the big leagues, yeah. and he's committed to Vanderbilt. And God, I do don't they, think do they all commit to Vanderbilt? Every year, everybody commits to Vanderbilt. Kumar Rocker, it just—I feel like they're all going there. Yeah, well, Vanderbilt—it's great place to yeah, play. It is all the best conference. So, so anyway, I was just gonna say, like, I don't. I mean, it's not like like there's no chance, but like it's it's going to take a lot to get Jack Leiter away from Vanderbilt. I, I don't think Al Leiter is going to be sad at all if his son gets to go play for Tim Corbin for three years. So I like Jack Leiter could go in the first round high enough to get paid. He could go with somebody's second or third pick and get overpaid there, or he could go in the 35th round if nobody thinks he's signable. But like I don't, I, I think you're going to see the five college pitchers perhaps go before all of these high school pitchers, you know, maybe not, maybe Allen goes ahead of a couple of them. Maybe Quinn Priestner sneaks ahead of one or two of them, but the college arms are going to go before the high school arms and the high school, you know, JJ Goss is another guy who's, who's a good high school pitcher from Texas. And there's some others too, but it's not, it, it, it's, it's fine. And there's nothing wrong with the high school pitching class, but it's not special. And, and teams are going to be afraid of high school right-handers like they always are to some extent. We've got a couple quick hitters here and get out of here in a sure. second, but just on the pitchers for one second, if I just busted out with a couple of who, where's the best fastball in this class, whether it's high school or or college, would you say? I'd say high school would be Espino, and, and college would probably be, I mean, if we're talking about starters, because, I mean, there are some yeah. relievers going out there, but I'd say Jackson Rutledge from San Jacinto, J.C., would, would be the best college fastball. What about, um, this is a tough one, especially with high school, but command across both? I'd go Quinn Priester on the um, high school. on the high school side, and yeah, you, you, probably George Kirby. I mean, I guess I'm thinking control, more so the command, but George Kirby's got, like, I haven't looked recently, but strikeout to walk ratio was something like 90 to 6 or something for silly, which would be like the best strikeout to walk ratio in the first round. Somebody was looking into it, and they, they'd gone back into the early 2000s and hadn't found a first-round pick with a better college strikeout to walk ratio um, than, than George Kirby. So I, I'd say wow. Kirby and, and Quinn Priester. And then what if I just said best secondary pitch, whatever it is, you know, slider, splitter, change up, who has the best secondary plus offering on each side? That 
one I'm going to wind up screwing up because I'd have to. I'd have to. I'd, 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 like pre, Quinn Priester's curveball is really good. Matthew Allen's breaking ball is really good. I'm probably missing. Like Jack Leiter's curveball is pretty good. Love Leiter's. I'm probably forgetting someone on the college side. Well, again, I might be forgetting somebody, but like Jackson Rutledge's slider is really, really good. I knew you were going to go Rutledge. I was hoping that. Um, yeah, I think I agree with but you. It, yeah, and like again, I mean, it can stand out a little bit better against junior college guys too. But like, I'd, I'd probably say his slider. So, but it, like, that's one. Like, I every year I wind up writing that story, like best tools, and I haven't. <laughs> I need to get my top two hundred reports done, so I haven't started <laughs> to to work on that. But like, I'm sure, they, like the, the the breaking balls might come out a little bit differently. But those other two answers will probably hold up. Okay, so a couple quick hitters here. Corbin Carroll versus Maurice Hampton. We talked about Hampton before. I really like Hampton, but Carroll seems to be a very popular choice for a lot of people. So um, those guys versus each other and thinking like offensive tools. Yeah, they may go closer in the draft than you would have originally thought. I think I don't think he's doing anything wrong. I do think Corbin Carroll has a chance to maybe go towards the top of the second half of the first round rather than in the top, you know, 10 or 12 picks. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, Corbin is one of the best high school hitters in the draft. Both those guys can really run. Corbin's not very physical, which I think is why he might be – slide is the wrong word, but that's why he might go in the second half of the first round rather than, you know, the top half. Maurice Hampton, you know, I alluded to earlier, is a football player. He's more physical. He's not as polished as Corbin, but he's not as raw as your typical football player, if that makes sense, a guy who's devoted a lot of time to football. You know, I, I think you would take Corbin over Maurice Hampton, but it's, it's – you could make a case that Maurice Hampton has a higher ceiling. There's more risk, but a higher ceiling. So it's pretty close. Josh Young versus Reese Hines. And Reese Hines is definitely a big, big power guy who's, um, you know, whose bat isn't, hasn't quite followed, but he was a very popular name who didn't quite, you know, jumping out to everybody. Like at least I thought he would about a year ago on boards. But what about Josh versus Reese? Yeah, it's um, like Josh is the clear guy for me there. You know, Hines might have about as much raw power as just about anybody in the draft, but there's some swing and miss. The position's a little bit of a question. Like, you hope third base. I, I don't think that's a lock with Young is a, a much better hitter. Like, he doesn't have Lang- uh, he doesn't have Hines' raw power, but he's got good raw power. He got a little pull happy early in the year. I think he maybe he was trying to do a little too much at the plate, and he's gotten back to being who he is, which is probably the the the, the he's got a longer track record. I, I'd say you could argue JJ Day versus Josh Young is who's the second best all around college hitter after Vaughn. Young has had track record of hitting for average and power longer than Bladay. Um, to me, it would be interesting if you asked the question: Josh Young versus Brett Beatty. Because I think Beatty is very similar to Young. And Brett Beatty, you could argue, versus Riley Green for best all-around hitter in the high school ranks. And I would give Josh Young just the slightest of edges over Brett Beatty because Josh Young has done it in the Big 12. And Brett Beatty... Has it? What if we you throw know, Cody Hosey in there? Well, I, I would take both those guys over Cody Hosey. I like Cody Hosey, and I think Cody Hosey's going to go in the first round. Cody Hosey's had kind of one, you know, year like this. I would take Brett Beatty over Cody Hosey. I would take Josh Young over Brett Beatty. 
but it wouldn't break my heart if I were drafting and Josh Young was off the board and I had to take Brett Beatty. I know there's concerns that Brett Beatty might wind up at first base. There's this concern that he's 19 and a half. I, I understand why teams look at age. I also think it's overblown and you have to look at talent. And if Brett Beatty were to go to Texas where he's committed and tear it up for two years, which I think he would if he went to college, and he was a 21-and-a-half-year-old draft-eligible sophomore, everybody would be like, oh, I got to have Brett Beatty. <laughs> but right now you have teams who are like, oh, Brett Beatty's 19-and-a-half. I can't touch that. And, and and that to me is a little silly. But, um, but yeah, I – I would take, of all these guys we just talked about, I would go Josh Young, Brett Beatty, probably Cody Hosey, and then Reese Hines is how I would line those four guys up. Latest buzz is, I don't know, our last two here, of guys who may be rising or falling. I've been a big uh, Brady McConnell guy, and I know you guys have kind of been talking about him a whole bunch, and I think there's indications that you guys in your top 200 will probably have him pretty significantly in there. So are there any kind of buzz guys you can tell me about? You can talk about McConnell as well, but any falling or rising buzz guys? Yeah, I think McConnell... is having a great year. You know, he was a guy who, who had a lot of buzz going into his um, senior year of high school two years ago. He's a draft eligible sophomore. And he was hurt and he didn't have a great fre- he didn't have a great spring as a senior and he was hurt a little bit and didn't have a great freshman year at Florida, but he's having a really good year. Like that's it's kinda like a, a Jonathan India coming out party type of year uh, for the Gators this year. I think he's playing his way into the end of the first round perhaps. You know, we mentioned um, you know Cavico, Keone Cavico earlier is a guy who I think has hit his way into the first round. A couple other a couple high school shortstops who I think are, are playing their way in the first round are Gunnar Henderson and Kyron Paris are, are guys who've played their way in the first round. Brooks Lee is another shortstop who may be jumping into the first round. I'm trying to think like uh, am I, I'm a little draft addled right now. I'm trying to think like it seems like there's another college player who I'm forgetting. Like Cody Hosey we mentioned but like that's not new. He's kind of kept pushing up. You know Greg Jones is a guy who's got first round tools. Uh, I think he's more of a consensus second rounder for people but he's got like definitely first round tools. How would you see like uh, Jones versus Logan Davidson? Um, yeah, I, I think they're kind of similar in that they're they're switch hitters, they're shortstops, they've got loud tools. You worry a little bit about their ability to hit. You know, Logan Davidson, like like Seth Beer a year ago, he's just not hit with wood bats. You know, and Seth Beer's obviously doing fine in, in pro ball with the Astros. But um, Logan Davidson will go ahead of Greg Jones. Like I think Logan Davidson is a lock first rounder. I think Greg Jones has a good chance to go toward the end of the first round after Davidson. And I do think it's fair to say, oh, like there are teams who are on both will be like, ah, that's not my cup of tea in the first round because I worry about the bat a little bit. Last one here, and it all has to do with your favorite later round guys. And it's totally okay for it to be a third or fourth. It's just a little bit later than we've talked about. I, I will be honest, I fully want to hear you say uh, Sam. Siani, but uh, it's okay if you don't. Well, Beyonce we have him ranked high, though. He was a preseason top 50 guy for us. So, yeah. like, I, 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 like, that to me disqualifies. I, I always struggle <laughs> with this question when you ask me because, not because it's not a good question, but because, like, the guy, like, like we aren't afraid to like we do try to reflect the consensus in the industry so we're not going to just go off half cocked and like oh I love so and so and we're jamming him up like a number 12 on the list but we do try to reflect the industry we, we try to reflect the industry consensus but like guys we like like I move up our list like, yeah I'll you, you make relative round. to your list the guys that might like yeah, how about like, like a Jerry and Ely like e- e- anything well, after no, the second not, I, like he would not because he has not had a good spring and I don't okay. th- I, I think he's a football guy and I think that's one where you could have I don't know if he's signable, and if you if you sign him, you might wind up having your heart broken. Where a couple years later, he's like, "I'm struggling, and I'm going to go play football." Like I mean, the, the guy who the guy who and he's moved up everybody else's list too. But the guy who I, I, I kind of like, and we have we have him 
excuse me, as a solid second rounder, but he intrigues me. And but everybody like loves his makeup and competitiveness, so it's not like he's going to go in the fourth round. I think he's going to go in the second round. But like the guy who I think is better than his pure tools, I will approach it that way. Like it is, T- is TJ Sikama at the University of Missouri. And now look. <laughs> he's six foot two seventeen, so it's not like your classic body you're looking for in a pitcher. But this guy's had a great year in the SEC, which is the best conference in the country. He's pitched well against a lot of good teams. Again, he's pitched well against a lot of good pitchers. He's a lefty, and you know he 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 can he you know <laughs> like I said, it's you know it's not the best body, but it's like and he'll he can show you eighty nine ninety one, but he can reach back for ninety three ninety five whenever he needs it, and he throws that eighty nine ninety one with a ton of run sink from low three quarters arm angle, and he commands it. He can raise his slot on purpose and still command his pitches. He's got high spin rates on his slider, and he can manipulate the shape where it's got more depth or it's more lateral you know it's a plus pitch at its best he's got great feel he's got a sinking change up he can throw on any count you know it's a crossfire delivery but he, he creates angle and extension so his stuff plays up he mixes his pitches really well He's not afraid to go inside against lefties or righties. So I see this guy as one of the highest floors in the draft among college pitchers. It's a bad draft for college pitchers. I think at, at worst, at worst, he's a lefty reliever who can get, you know, battle. You know, he's not just a specialist. He can get righties out. But he's got so much deception, and he competes, and he believes in himself. that like, if you told me this guy's a number four starter, I think he can do that. So I, I'm all in on TJ Sikama. I'm not saying I'd take him in the first round. I'd be happy to get this guy in the middle of the second round somewhere so he he might be like it's weird because the way, the way the question is framed it's not like this is a consensus fourth rounder somebody's going to take him in the second round but I, I just think he's the guy who to me like if you were like looking okay six foot 217 crossfire delivery he'll pitch around 90 a lot with his fastball like he's a lot better than that would lead you to believe that that would be that, that's where I'm coming from on, on that answer and it's a great it's a great answer because the the, the question works a lot better once the players are drafted, once we actually know, we can go and take a look and we can be like, wow, you know, look, this team, you know, this Mike Ciani with the Reds and the, but you know, that type of stuff. And we can actually go back and look at it, but it's a great answer. TJ Sikama, 55 on the list as I'm looking at it might be even a little bit higher when the brand new 200 comes out. And big shout out to you, Jim. Thank you so much for taking all of this fantastic time with us. You guys can follow him at Jim Callis MLB. Make sure you guys are locked into the pipeline because the 200 is coming. You're going to do the draft tools, the mock drafts. I, it's unbelievable the draft coverage that you guys get there for free and mlb network is going to have the um you got what is it going to be top 100 draft prospects what's that show going to be or maybe uh the, the show will be the, the show will be I, I, well, I will talk about 50 i think they'll scroll 51 through 100 at the bottom and we will we will stretch our list to 200 on our site but they i don't do not think they will scroll 101 to 200 on the show so so it should be a top 50 draft show that will record the week before the draft and will be i i know they'll run it a few times i don't know exactly when it will air the first time that week but i'm sure I will tweet about it several times once I once I have that knowledge. Well, everybody uh, have, have Jim and your thoughts for the next couple weeks because it's going to be a wild ride and especially the draft days, you're going to be at uh, maximum capacity. So Jim, as always, thank you so much for taking the time out talking about all these prospects with me right here on the show. Well, I enjoyed it, Chris. I, I appreciate it and, and I meant what I said earlier. You ask good questions. I, I like like how you, you do the compare and contrast and it makes me think about guys so it's very helpful and uh, a lot of fun. So I, I enjoyed it a lot. 
All right, Boggs, that's all we got. We want to thank Jim Callis. We want to thank, uh, I loved your QVC edition of uh, College Football Talk. <laughs> Me and Nick Allen, yes. Uh, come by College Football Winning Edge right now. Well, this stuff is really awesome. I mean, analytics in college football is not out there, and he's one of the few guys doing it. So it's impressive. It is impressive stuff. Uh, good stuff we had here talking MLB draft, co- talking uh, college analytics, and talking about the best video games, sports video games of all time. It's a pretty good way to get you through your day, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Follow us over at InThisLeague.com and on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh, at Bogman Sports. It's And uh, you can really just go on to iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts and find all of our shows. Have a fantastic one, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace. See ya.